Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Even there. When Viktor Frankl was a young man, he became fascinated with the human mind. Steeped in Jewish tradition as a Jewish young man, he knew that God had created him in his image. And he had created this thing called a human mind. He went through high school, then he went into college studying the human mind. He went to medical school. Shortly after medical school, he became a doctor, and, and he found himself as the head of the neurology clinic at the Jewish hospital in Vienna, Austria. He was truly living a purpose-driven life. He was asking himself questions. What's my purpose? What's my calling? And he was walking in it. His life changed greatly, though, when Adolf Hitler came to power. And with a, within a short matter of time, he found himself and his, families, his family at the gates of Auschwitz. At that place, he would be pulled from his family and he'd be sent to the death camps of Dachau, and then Turkheim. And it was in those concentration camps that he started asking himself a different set of questions. Questions such as, what are these circumstances that I'm in right now trying to teach me about myself? What are these circumstances, these ugly, difficult, evil circumstances that I'm in that I had nothing to do with? Why, what are they trying to teach me about others? What are these horrific circumstances that I'm in trying to teach me about God? And it was at Turkheim that he had to do what he called, he had to make an inner decision. He called it his inner hold. He would reach down and grab the beams and pillars of his existence and hang on to them. And he would decide to struggle well. He'd decide to suffer well. He realized that the only way he was going to make it through the death camp experience was by doing small acts of dignity to his fellow man because they too were created in the image of God. He said these words, I called to the Lord from my narrow prison and he answered me in the freedom of space. God expected things from him even in the most ugly place, a concentration camp. And a lesson we can take from Victor's life is that God created us in his image. He created us out of dignity and love, and he expects us then to turn to others and treat them with dignity and love. Think about that word creation. Are we the, the result of a random variation of organisms over millions of years? Are we the result of, of a, a, a large explosion and there's this blank canvas and then all of a sudden... There's a masterpiece? Or are we the result 
of a loving God with an intentional hand who forms the universe and forms us and has a plan not only for the universe, but for each one of us. If you get anything at all out of today's teaching, get this. You are made in the image of God. You are unique. You were planned by God and for God. He expects us to not only love ourselves and treat ourselves with dignity and love, but to treat others with dignity and love. Well, God's got a lot to say about that as we hit week three of our series called Even There. It's in this series in which we're pulling apart one of the most incredible psalms in all of Scripture, Psalm 139. In week one, Pastor Bob hit on a key point of God's omniscience, an attribute of God, God's all-knowing, all-knowingness. In week two, Pastor Bob then built on that and talked about God's omnipresence, that God is all-present. And this week, we're going to look at God's power, particularly his creative power, God's omnipotence. And a truth that we're going to land on today is this, until you realize whose you are, you'll never understand truly who you are. Until you realize whose you are, you'll never truly understand who you are. In the words of Dr. David Benner, we were made from love, of love, and for love. Our existence makes no sense apart from divine love. We find our true selves by finding God. So today we're going to be hanging out in a bunch of places of Scripture. We're going to start in Psalm 139. We're going to look at verses 13 to the first part of verse 16. Then we're going to look at Jesus and his part in creation. We'll go to the New Testament for that. Then we'll roll back to the Old Testament and look at their creation account in Genesis. Then we're going to pop back to Psalm 139 and talk about this thing called sanctity of life. What does it really, really mean? Okay, so here we go. Psalm 139, verses 13 to 16. I'm using the New Living Translation. So if you have your Version app downloaded on your smart device, go ahead and flip over to the New Living Translation and you can follow along. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. See, here at Cornwall Church, we believe that God had his hand on creation. We lift up Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and we stand on the authority of God's Word. And God's Word is important in our lives because we feel that it's in God's Word that that we get answers to questions, tough questions. Where do I come from? What's the origin of life? What's the meaning of life? What is my purpose in life? And when my life ends, what happens to me at that time? It's in God's Word in which we see a progressive revelation of Jesus from the beginning of Genesis to the end of the book of Revelation. It's in God's word that we see Jesus as the express image of God, that that God validates Jesus, and Jesus validates God. And it's in God's word that we see that Jesus is creator. Jesus is creator. One of my favorite books in the Bible is the book of John, and the book of John talks about the deity of, of Jesus, that Jesus and God, the Father, are one. Jesus would say, I and the Father are one. So let's look at that. John chapter 1, first four verses. In the beginning, the Word already existed. Hold on just a second. The Word. 
This thing called the Word. This is what John uses to refer to as Jesus. So every time you see this phrase, the Word, insert Jesus' name. In the beginning, the Word Jesus already existed. The Word Jesus, Jesus was with God, and the Word Jesus was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word Jesus, Jesus gave life. He gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought life to everyone. So the word is Jesus, and he has always existed. He wasn't created. He wasn't an angel because angels, angels were created. Jesus is creator. Paul would write these words in Colossians chapter 1, 15 to 17. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Stop right there, image. Every time we're going to talk about image today, and every time you see image in Scripture, underline it, highlight it, circle it, star it, put some notes around it because image is a very important word. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on the earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities, in the unseen world, everything, everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. So up front, we see Jesus as creator. He created you. He created me. And why is this important? Because if you can't accept the creative handiwork of God in your life, you're going to struggle with who you are and whose you are. See, you look at yourself as a chance collision of matter. Rather, rather than someone who was planned by a loving God and his loving and intentional plan and hand in your life. Jesus is creator. Have you ever thought about this, that, that Jesus had eyes for you even before you had eyes? That Jesus had a heart for you even before your heart beat its first beat? That Jesus had a plan for you even though a man and woman may had gotten together and you weren't planned? That Jesus knew the things you would create with your mind, even before your mind wasn't formed enough to create anything. That he knew the sound of your voice before you could sing your first note, say your first words, or utter your first cry as you came outside of your mother's womb. You see, you have an origin. We have an origin. We have a beginning. You were made from love, of love, and for love. Your existence, our existence, makes no sense apart from divine love. So let's head over to the Genesis creation account. Jesus is creator. Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So who's this us that Moses is talking about? Right up front, we see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit working in community together in creation. God in three equal but separate parts. And I got to tell you guys, I have a hard time understanding it. I've got this phrase, uh, you know, God the Father revealed by the Son whom we experience through the Holy Spirit, but it's too big for my finite mind. In week one, Pastor Bob talked in Psalm, about Psalm 139, the, the first six verses. Psalm 39, verse 6 talks about, God, your, your thoughts are too high for me. I can't, even, I can't even attain thinking about them. We looked at Romans chapter 11 in which we saw 
in Romans 11, that our, our limited minds can't understand a totally infinite God. And I'm okay with that, and I'll tell you why. I need a God that I can't fully understand, because if I can understand everything about God, He's a little God. I need a big God. I need a big God to step into my mess, because I got a lot of mess in my life. I need a big God to walk me through my life, the, the, the life of my family, the life of our church. I need a big God to enter my mess and walk with me. And he creates. He creates you and he creates me, male and female. And he does that because God has a masculine and a feminine nature. We see the masculine nature of God all throughout Scripture. But God also has a feminine nature, a good example. Jesus, he comes into Jerusalem. He's going to be crucified. And he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I've wept for you, how I've longed to take your children into my arms like a hen takes her chicks under her wings. He creates us male and he creates us female, different but equal. No gender is supposed to rule over the other gender. We're given the authority to rule and that authority to rule is over creation, things that creep on the ground. We're, we're supposed to take care of this creation God gave us. Skip to verse 27. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So what does it mean to be created in the image of God? There's a, a real important word in, in Scripture, image, and the Hebrew word is selim. Say it with me, selim. Okay, say it one more time, selim. Yeah, like you're going to sell them something. Okay, sell them. It's an important word because, and we look at these words in the original language because they have a deeper meaning than just one English word. Sell them can mean like five different things. It, it can be a drawing, a very intricate drawing of something. A sell them can, can be a model. It can be a replica. It can be a reflection or a shadow of something. Or it can be what the Israelites would find it throughout their, their, their time in the Old Testament. They would follow a different God than the one true God, and they'd make idols, and they'd, they'd carve an image of that idol. That's called a selim. So what I want to do now is talk about what it means to be in the, made in the image of God. And I, I've created an acronym out of the word image. An acronym is like it, it spells the word, and then each letter has its own word. So let's do this. I. I stands for intellect. God created us universally with intellect. We serve a creative God who creates with intellect. Just look at the mountains, the oceans, sunrises, sunsets. Look at giraffes. We got a God who's intellectual and creates. If you look at the snowflake, not a single snowflake is the same. If you look at our DNA, it's all intricate and it's all separate. It's all unique. We serve a God who created us to create arts, literature, music, science, technology, football. Oh, yeah, go Seahawks. I'm knocking on somebody's door there. Okay, how about this then? We serve a God who gave us the, the intellect to create manna from, modern manna from the sky, the Twinkie. There we go. That's right. We serve a God of intellect. He gave us a mind that averages 50,000 thoughts per day. He gave us the ability, the, the intellect to have abstract language, complex language, complex conversations. That's why you don't see a bunch of dogs and cats sitting around a table talking about things such as creation. God created us with intellect. What about M? M stands for mirror. 
Just as God created the moon for a whole bunch of reasons, but one of the reasons was to reflect the beauty and radiance and light of the sun. So he created us to reflect the beauty, radiance, and light of his son, Jesus. We are God's mirror. As Christ followers, people should look at us and see something different and something better in this world. I once heard a pastor about 10 years ago, he was talking about how, how we're, we're supposed to be God's moral mirror. And what he was talking about was all around the world, all cultures believe that, that we're supposed to reflect a moral conscience, some form of moral conscience, that we have some form of moral conscience, that, that killing someone, having sex with a child, things like that are bad. It's a universal moral conscience that we have. So he creates us with intellect. He creates us to be mirrors, his moral mirrors, if you will. What does A stand for? A stands for ability. God created us with abilities, abilities to work with God and to work for God. He gave us incredible abilities to, to, to master flight, to fly to the moon and possibly now to, to Mars, to develop photography. We can take a picture of the universe that God has created and we can only see this much of it, although we think we've seen so much, this much that God has revealed to us thus far. He created us with incredible abilities. G. G stands for greatness. And when I think about greatness, I think about intellect, mirror, and abilities all combined. God created us to do great things, great, incredible things. We're created in his image to do incredible things great things. We're created for greatness. And here's the thing I love about Jesus. I'm going to use that phrase a lot today, the beauty of Jesus, or what I love about Jesus. What I love about Jesus is he steps down from the throne and becomes man, and he has a body like ours. And when we receive him in our lives, we get greatness like his. We get the greatness of God impugned into our own character with Jesus, which leads me to E. E stands for eternal, eternal. God created us with eternity on our hearts. Once again, it's why cultures all around the world believe that there's more to life than just this, than just what we see. It's why cultures all around the world believe that there's some form of life after death. And what's so beautiful about Jesus is, he said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever would believe in him wouldn't perish but have what? Eternal life, intellect, Mirror, ability, greatness, eternal. We complete creation. Skip to Genesis 31, or 131, verse 31. Then God looked over all he had made and he saw that it was very good. He looked over everything he made and he saw that it was very good. If you read the Genesis 1 account on your own, do it at another time. We don't have time to go through it today. You'll see that everything God makes, the heavens, the earth, the expanses, all these things, he says, yeah, those are good. But when it came to making you, came to making me, when it came to making people, he said, stop right now. Stop right now. You, this is very good. You take the best this world has to offer, and God says, hold the phone. You are better. He saw that it was very good. And here's the thing that's so cool about God. God has to love us. He is God. I mean, that's the theology of God. He can't not love us. But with Jesus in our lives, when God looks at us, he sees Jesus, and he likes us. 
He wants to hang out with us. He wants us to understand his character and understand who he is as much as we can. It's why our, our number one discipleship goal here at Cornwall Church is to connect with God through Scripture each day so we get to know the character of God. You take the best this world has to offer, and God says, I like you. I like you. You are very good. Back to Psalm 139. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. As I was woven together in the dark of the womb, you saw me before I was born. And we can look at these words and say, that's right. God got it right when he made me. He broke the cellum when he made me. We say, we are, I am so good. No, I'm not so good. I'm very good because it says in Scripture. And we can think that this psalm is all about the greatness of us. We flip that psalm on its head because really this psalm is awe about us having an awe of God. David was a musician and he writes these 24 verses. And the way the verses flow, it's all about God first, then us. God first, then us. We're supposed to have an awe of God. Some of your translations say, I thank you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. See, we're supposed to have a healthy fear of the Lord. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all understanding. And what that fear means is we're supposed to hold him in reverence. It's supposed to be an awe of God, not an awe of God. An awe of God. Intellect, mirror, ability, greatness, eternal. God creates us out of dignity and love, and he wants to use us as vehicles of his glory. And we see the expressed image of, of God through Jesus. Jesus is creator. And here's another truth we're going to land on today. We serve a holy God who declares that all life is sacred. All life is sacred. Our text says that God creates us. Our, our text says that he knits us together in our mother's womb, that we're made in his image. Jesus is the expressed image of God. And what's so crazy about God is that he wanted us to know him so well that, as I said, he stepped down from his throne to become a person. Have you ever considered this, that Jesus at one time was an embryo? That Jesus was an embryo. Now, remember Colossians 1 and John 1 tell us that he wasn't created, that before everything was, he is. But when he entered Mary's womb, when God stepped down from his throne and became man, he, he entered Mary's womb. Jesus at one time was an embryo. And what we see in Jesus' life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, is that he declares that all life is sacred. And I got to segue into a really hard topic. And I'll just be honest with you, I don't want to preach this topic. I didn't. And I'm supposed to, because God laid it on our hearts to talk about this tough subject. It's a tough subject because we, we have often led and talked about this subject with an accusatory tone. We've talked about it in a very judgmental way and a very, very political way. We've talked about it with a lot of arrogance. We've talked about it with a lot of truth. And when you talk about something with only truth, that's arrogance. And God calls on us to talk with, with truth and love. And this topic is the topic of abortion. Many want to call this a woman's reproductive rights. And 
it's a difficult topic because there's so much that goes into it. There's so much around it. So let's speak the truth first and see what God's word says. Because here at Cornwall Church, we believe that, that God creates, that we don't have a right to take a life in that manner. Verse 13, Psalm 139. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Verse 16, your eyes have seen my unformed substance. So God creates. This is about the life of a child made in his image. We believe that life begins here at conception, but here's the deal. That's the truth, okay? But there's a love piece to this too, a big love piece to this. Studies have shown that one out of five women who claim to be Christian evangelical women have at some time in their lives had an abortion. And that being the case, there are a whole lot of guys involved in that too. And so often we, the church, have done the them thing. We've called them them. We've condemned when folks, if that's the truth, that's a whole lot of us. This is an us thing. And God calls on us to speak in truth. The, the, the books of, of Timothy and Titus tell us that we're not supposed to turn a blind eye towards sin. But the same hand that wrote those books with the inspired word of God also say, that we speak, speak truth with love. You can't separate the truth from the love. And we have to extend grace. Our church needs to be a place of healing. It needs to, to be a place. Where you can come as you are. With all of your mess. With everything that's going on in your life. All the ugly in your life. And, and you can heal. And God can speak into your heart. So here at Cornwall, we extend grace. Here at Cornwall, we, we land on the truth. We don't know what's going on in anyone's life to their extent of walking in their shoes. And here's what's so difficult about stuff like this. Shame is an enemy for the playground. And the enemy plays with your head. If you've gone through something like this, the enemy plays with your head in such a horrific way. It can happen when you're sitting on the playground, you're, you're looking at your kids, and the enemy pops up all of a sudden and says, hey, remember? Remember what you did a while back? Yeah, he'd be probably, what, 12 now? And it's the playground for the enemy. Maybe it's that time when you have your first wanted pregnancy, and you're feeling that baby kick. And your mind goes back to that place and the enemy shows up to accuse you. To bring out the death and the depth of pain. Maybe you're the guy in the situation and you feel your, your wife's belly for the first time and that baby kicks. And your mind goes to that place. And you shove it away because you've got this dark space in your heart. A space that the enemy is standing in front of saying, don't tell anyone, don't talk about that. Yeah, they talk about healing. Look what they did to Jesus. He was sinless and he was crucified. They will crucify you. And he wants to hold on to that dark space in your heart. And it doesn't matter what the issue out there is. We all have that place in our heart. And what Jesus says is he wants to invade the dark space. Jesus invades the dark spaces of our hearts. It's the beauty of Jesus. You see, when the enemy shows up in your life to say you're condemned, Jesus says, oh, no, no. 
There's no condemnation for those who are in me, Christ Jesus. When the enemy shows up and he says, guilty is charged, Jesus says, you are forgiven, go and sin no more. When the enemy says, you're broken, you will never be put back together. Jesus says, stop. I hold all things together in this universe. I will hold you together. And when the enemy says, you are worthless, Jesus says, no, you're not. I gave my life for you because I love you. You are my treasure. You were made from love, of love, and for love. Don't separate yourself from me and my divine love. Jesus invades the dark spaces. Last week, Pastor Bob hit a a passage that ties right in to this point. Verses 11 and 12, Psalm 139. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness, even the dark space is not dark to you. And the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. Jesus meets us in the dark space. He permeates the gaps. Whatever that thing is in our life, Jesus wants to to be there. If we are suffering, he wants to be there because he suffers when we suffer. Isaiah 63 verse 9 hints to that. He permeates the dark space. It's the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Bad things made good through Jesus who loves us. It's so simple that a kid in the Amazon forest can understand it. Bad things made good through Jesus who loves us. Yes, yet it's so complex that we pastors and theologians can pull this thing apart for centuries. Jesus invades the dark spaces. And I just want to say, if you've gone through something and you've heard the truth, it's time for that healing to go on. It's time to start that healing in your life. Jesus will heal you, and let us be a part of that. There's no shame. There's no condemnation. Jesus invades the dark spaces. Back to Psalm 139, because this is more, there's more to sanctity of life than this thing called pro-life anti-abortion. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. You see, all life is sacred in the eyes of God. And sanctity of life is more than than this topic of abortion. Sanctity of life is so much bigger than that. It's how we treat that homeless guy standing on the corner. Would we be willing to pull over, talk to him, buy him a cup of coffee, shake his hand, actually hear his story? Because he has a story just like we have a story. He has brokenness just like we have brokenness. He was created in the image of God with dignity and love. And God calls on us to treat him with dignity and love. That's sanctity of life. It's the way we treat that kid in baggy pants that we can't understand, or someone with a different sexual orientation or a belief in sexual orientation that goes against what maybe we believe. And we talk to them and we hear their story because they got a story because they're like us. They were created in the image of God. 
There's brokenness in their lives just like in our lives, and we treat them with dignity and love because that's how God created us. That's sanctity of life. It's loving the Muslim, the Jew, the Sikh, the Hindu, the Buddhist, the agnostic, the atheist, and, and actually talking to them about their beliefs and hearing their story because they got a story. We all have stories. They have brokenness. We all have brokenness. They, too, were created in the image of God and need to be treated with dignity and love, that sanctity of life. And you may be sitting here saying, Kip, you're the biggest hypocrite I know. We've heard your story, 28 years in the military. You were in combat. You've got proverbial blood on your hands. Let's talk about that because we've got active duty service members and and reserve service members here in our congregation here in, in Skagit. We've got service members watching online right now, stateside and overseas. So let's talk through this because this is very important. Romans 13 says that we need to obey the governing authorities over us. Go to the gospel accounts. There's John the Baptist. He's baptizing all these people. And he baptizes these Roman soldiers. and, And they say, what do we do now? What's next? And he doesn't say, drop your spear, drop your sword. He tells them, don't extort money from people. Live by a higher moral code. Jesus approaches a man who he calls, who he says has the most faith out of anyone in Israel, and it's not a Pharisee, it's a Roman soldier. And he doesn't say, drop your spear, drop your sword. Peter is called to the the house of a Roman centurion, and the whole house receives Jesus. They receive the Holy Spirit. And he doesn't say, drop your spear, drop your sword, because the fact of life is We live in a very difficult and evil world where wars happen. They have since the beginning of time. And so for you service members, hear me out. You need to make sure you are on the right side of a just cause. There are laws of land warfare, there are rules of engagement, and you live by those. You don't follow any order that is illegal or immoral because the the concept of I was just following orders, not only does it not hold up in court, it doesn't hold up in front of the eyes of God. And when you take a prisoner, you treat that prisoner with the rules of engagement and with dignity. And I'll stop right there because I'll get political. That's sanctity of life. So Viktor Frankl, He's in this concentration camp, and in this concentration camp, he decides to make make this decision to struggle well, to suffer well, and he decides that the only way he can fulfill himself is to forget himself, and so he does small acts of dignity to his fellow man, to his fellow prisoners. Charles Spurgeon once said, That good character is the best tombstone, that we're to carve our names on the hearts of others rather than tombstones. You know, before before the concentration camp, Viktor Frankl, he he was building a resume. But after that concentration camp, he was building a eulogy. And that's what God calls on us to do, to carve our names on the hearts of others. Your challenge this week is a very straightforward challenge. And it's to every day. God's going to bring people in your life every day. Every day is going to bring people in your life who believe differently than you, think differently than you on a whole range of topics. And he asked you, your challenge this week is to do small acts of dignity to those people. Treat them with dignity 
and treat them with love because they, like you, are created in the image of God. They are created from love, of love, and for love. And it's hard for them to understand their existence and for us to understand our existence apart from divine love.